Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one collegial page of Talmud every day. In today's page, Aruvin 11, we find this great story. As always in the Talmud, it's hiding inside of a little sentence. It says, uh, as Rabbi Yehoshua went to Rabbi Yochanan ben Nuri to study Torah, even though Rabbi Yehoshua himself was an expert in the halachot of diverse kinds and found him sitting among the trees, and Rabbi Yehoshua stretched a vine from one tree to another and said to him, Rabbi, if there are grapevines here in the enclosed area, what is the halacha with regard to sowing diverse kinds of seeds here on the other side of the partition? Which is really the Talmud subtle way of basically saying to you, hey, here's an expert, a worldwide recognized expert in this field, and what does he do? He goes to someone else. He goes to a colleague. He goes to learn. He understands that we are all lifelong students. And to help us parse that ever so important concept, one of my favorite people, the man of infinite honorifics and titles, rabbi, doctor, teacher and friend, Ari Lam. Hello. Hey, how are you? The CEO of B'nai Zion Foundation, a scholar, also we should say, Someone with great yichas, the grandson of the late Rabbi Norman Lamb, who we just lost recently, one of the great lights of American Judaism in this or any other century. Thank you for being our guest. It's my total pleasure. A teacher of mine once said that yichas is like a bunch of zeros. Unless you put a one in front of it, it doesn't mean anything. But those words are very appreciated. <laughs> you know, I love that saying. I, I heard it too. Actually, someone told it to me in my grandmother's shiva. Oh, wow. And I love that story because it actually puts this kind of not altogether unpleasurable burden on you to be worthy of, of the family, to be worthy of the heritage, to be worthy of all the gifts that you have received, all the education and all the love and all the good fortune. So tell me, I absolutely loved this insight, this notion, this rabbi going to another rabbi to study, even though he himself is an expert. Expand on this, please. This is something I understand that was common in the Talmud. Teach us how to learn from this important story. The first thing I think about when I think about this story in the Talmud is one of my favorite episodes of Scrubs. <laughs> Tractate Scrubs. Scrubs. Of course. Okay. Scrubs fans will generally agree that of the two or three best episodes ever, two of those top three episodes are the ones where Dr. Cox, who's the mentor of the main character, he loses a couple of patients and he blames himself and he loses his mind and he goes berserk and then he shows up drunk to the office and he has to be kind of rescued by the whole gang and so forth. The episode after those, which is less well-remembered, which is actually one of my favorite episodes, when Dr. Cox comes back to the hospital to work. And this big, tough senior doctor who's been through a lot comes back to the office. And one of the younger characters that he mentors, Elliot Reed, Elliot sees Dr. Cox seeming to struggle to make a decision about treatment that in any other case he would have made in a split second. She interprets it as an act of uncertainty. So she says, oh, can you know, it's okay. Can I help you make a decision? And he indulges her. And he asks her advice, and she spends the whole episode struggling. How? What advice should I give him? How should I help him make this decision? And then when she finally decides to give him some advice, it turns out that uh, Dr. Cox had already ordered that treatment, you know, hours ago. And what you assume at that point in the episode is that he was just make, he was just playing with her, and she's very insulted. And at the end of the episode, what you realize, and what Dr. Cox confides in Elliot after she accuses him of being a jerk 
is he says, the truth is when you first approached me, I was struggling and there really was a moment of doubt and I got over it, but you really were there for me and so forth. So the reason I mention this is because it gets to a core anxiety of the human condition, which is, is there ever a point at which a human being not only matures, but grows enough and achieves enough that they get to a point where they no longer have any questions? And that's kind of a driving theme of a lot of modern culture, whether it's Olaf and Frozen 2, assuming that when you get older, everything makes sense, or it's sort of Agent Gibbs and NCIS, you know, at some point you just become so wise that the upshot of every episode is he knew what he was doing the whole time. And it really gets to this core anxiety of, is it possible to achieve questionlessness? And how do I get there? Can I ever get there? And in fact, no, nobody gets to the point where you don't have any questions. And the reason why it's good for even someone like Dr. Cox or the reason why, a, you know, a major rabbinic figure goes to a colleague to ask for his opinion is specifically to show that nobody ever gets to the point where they don't have to ask questions. And that is the takeaway. That is often how we who have not grown to that point experience that. So just to give you an example, you know, and you mentioned my grandfather before, you know, one of the remarkable stories that I read about him after he passed away was written by Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein, who was a you know a prominent writer in the yeshiva world, was that there was a critical moment where you know my grandfather was in a position to attend a particular event that you know could potentially have been controversial, and he reached out to Rabbi Adlerstein, who was much much younger than him, and asked Rabbi Adlerstein's opinion on whether he should go. And Rabbi Adlerstein writes almost in this kind of odd tone. I couldn't believe that. Rabbi Lamb, this incredibly accomplished orator and theologian and thinker and philosopher and rabbi, was reaching out to me and asking my opinion and genuinely valuing it. And, you know, he says, ultimately, he, he didn't take my advice, but you could tell that he, he really, really valued it. And I think that kind of gets to the same point, which is that from the perspective, from the person who hasn't yet reached that stage of senior scholar status, it often does seem like the point of these stories is to teach the lesson that nobody ever outgrows questions. However, I, I think there is another way of reading these stories that itself emerges from the rabbinic tradition, and that I want to illustrate with another story about my grandfather, where he actually was cast in a different role. So my grandfather had two great teachers. The second one was Rabbi Joseph Zalovechik Zatzal, who was the, you know, colloquially known as the Rav, was, you know, this towering rabbinic thinker and theologian in the 20th century. And he was my grandfather's dear, dear teacher, and he gave him his rabbinical ordination and his doctorate, and they were extremely close. But his first great teacher, who, who preceded Rabbi Soloveitchik's influence on his life, was actually my grandfather's own grandfather, who was a man by the name of Rabbi Yoshua Baumol Zatzal. So Rabbi Baumol uh, was this magnificent... Galicianer thinker and, and rabbinic decisor and was it was just a, a tremendous intellect. And my grandfather and, and he were exceedingly close. My grandfather actually, uh, you know, nowadays it's common, you know, in many circles, whether in the Orthodox world where I grew up or, or in other communities as well, to take a gap year and spend some time in Israel. You know, typically, at least in, in my community, studying in a yeshiva or in a seminary, and you kind of refer to it colloquially as our year in Israel. 
So my grandfather always used to refer to his year in Israel in Brooklyn. So in between uh, high school and college, he spent time living at his grandfather's house and studying Torah with his grandfather's great uncle. He always told this story. Now, as, as your listeners may know, but just in case they don't, the way that a standard page of the Talmud is constructed is that the text of the Talmud is in the middle, and then surrounding it are the medieval commentaries of Rashi and the Tosafists, who are sort of more or less Rashi's students and in, in many cases relatives. So my grandfather's reading the Talmud with his grandfather, and he, he goes over to the side to read a comment by the Tosafists on the Talmud. And in the, the Tosafist comment, they cite Rashi. So what my grandfather relates is that his grandfather, Rabbi Baumol says to him, so knew what is Rashi's argument. And he cites the argument as it was described by Tosafists. And, and uh, his grandfather says to him, how do you know that that's true? And my grandfather, my uh, young man at the time, replies, well, Tosavis quote him. It's, it's you know, what, you think they're lying? And his grandfather says to him, well, what if they are lying? And my grandfather is sitting there completely perplexed. The Tosavists are liars? I mean, these are great sages. His grandfather relates to him, and my grandfather lived by this. You know, this is sort of like his superhero origin story, if there were one. And his grandfather said to him, look, faith and trust are the cornerstones of our religion. However... When it comes to the world of Torah study, there's nothing more important than radical question asking. You need to be able to ask questions and investigate and examine. Therefore, if the Tosavists tell you that Rashi said something, you are not allowed to trust them. It is, and you see, he uses the language of prohibition, of ritual prohibition. It is prohibited to trust them. You have to look at Rashi itself and check. If Rashi tells you that the Talmud says something, may not rely on Rashi. You have to check the Talmud yourself. If I tell you that the Tosavists or Rashi or the Talmud or anybody else said something, you can't even trust me, your own grandfather. You have to check yourself. So go get the book off the shelf. And the way he quotes my grandfather often when he wrote about this, he says, don't be lazy. Go get a book off the shelf and check it for yourself. Now, the upshot of that story to me is, again, it's sort of the same cast of characters. You have a senior scholar who is accomplished and wise. And then you have this younger colleague, or, or in, in this case, student, who <laughs> the senior sage is essentially going to to ask. And in that case, the purpose of the story, certainly as my grandfather told it, and I think in reality, is not the proof that even his grandfather, who was so accomplished, never grew out of asking questions. The lesson of the story is that actually it is good for us to have a community comprising people, first of all, of faith, but also of habitual question asking. It is good for us to live in a world where more people than currently do ask great questions, where people are curious, where people investigate, where people go the extra mile to wonder and to ask. And if we want to live in that kind of world, it is incumbent upon our leaders to model that kind of behavior. So maybe it's true. Maybe it is possible that that somebody gets to the point where you're Leroy Jethro Gibbs and you never have questions anymore and you always win. Maybe it's possible. But the real upshot of the story in the Talmud might be not that we never outgo questions, but rather that we always have to consider ourselves as role models. So even if we don't feel personally that we need to ask, it's still good to ask because we should want to model to others what good behavior in the context of learning looks like. And the reason this is so important 
Liel is because this is the mission of the Jewish people, to be role models in all manner of behavior. We should see our role in the world as modeling to other people how, first of all, they should behave, how we should want them to behave, and how we think God wants us all to behave. It starts at home. We have to model it ourselves. So Rabbi Yoshua may have known the answer, but if he if he wants to model, and that's what the Talmud is for. I mean, the Talmud is a guidebook for all of us. If Rabbi Yeshua wanted to model to all of us how to behave, how to ask questions, the way he does that is by, by asking himself. And that's our responsibility, first of all, as learners, and more importantly, I think, as a people. Rabbi Lamb, amen to all of that. Thank you so much for being our guest. My total pleasure. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.